0: Sansone easily away from Luca. Sansone, that's a lovely ball in and brilliantly buried by Roberto Piccoli. It's his first Lecce goal, it's the equaliser here. And Udinese just can't get over the line when it comes to this first victory. Hello and welcome to A Spotlight episode 97. I'm your host Jake, riding solo for this one as Matt has had to catch a flight to Australia to deal with a family emergency. He might have to stay there for a few weeks and I'll try to keep this show afloat without his very capable hands. Um, I might have to actually call in some reinforcements to, to keep this show afloat. Feel free to send him your best wishes, guys. I'm sure he'll be very happy to hear from you. But until then... Like a star. That's right, fuck you Matt This is my show now My rules, goal of the week Piccoli assisted by Sansone. What a fantastic dribble and cross that was by the substitute Sansone. I believe it was Luca who he beat Whipped the ball in and Piccoli just playing the offside trap perfectly off the shoulder of the defender over there, extends his foot and scores. Brilliant goal. That's my goal of the week. So the weekend is over, guys, meaning that match day nine has come to a conclusion. Um, a very exciting weekend of football, and I enjoyed watching many of the games. Now that the 12.30 games have started, the games are more spread out, and we have more of an opportunity to keep an eye out on these teams, you know, without teams playing at the exact same times. It's more enjoyable like this, in my opinion. But yeah, there weren't any crazy goals this weekend, in my opinion. Um, I'll put a poll down on Spotify so you can vote for your favourite goal this weekend. Um, I'm sure Gouvarad will probably take the cake. It was a good goal. Nothing crazy, in my opinion. I was more impressed by Piccoli's goal and the substitutes linking up. But anyway, I think we should get into the action. Um, the weekly rundown. Matt normally kills this. Let's see how I do. Juventus beat Milan 1-0 at San Siro thanks to a deflected goal by Manuel Locatelli after Chow's red card early on in the game. Inter had to wait till late to beat Torino 3-0 away from home. Napoli smashed Hellas Verona 3-1 away from home while Roma left it till late to beat Monza 1-0 at the Olimpico. Atalanta weren't having any of that Genoa are good stuff and beat them 2-0 at home. Fiorentina and Empoli faced off in a Tuscan derby which saw Empoli beating Fiorentina with a score of 2 goals to nil. Sassuolo continued to demonstrate how absolutely terrible their defense is as they lost 2-0 to Lazio at home. Bologna beat Frosinone 2-1 at home. Udinese and Lecce fought to a 1-1 draw, while Salernitan and Cagliari also fought to a dramatic 2-2 draw. But anyway, guys, we can kick things off at the San Siro, where Juve beat Milan with a score of 1 goal 2-0 to hop to third place in the table. This was heavily influenced by Malik Chau, a Malik Chow red card, which occurred in the 40th minute as he was in a 50-50 with Moise Keane. Um which saw Keen, to be honest who's who's really improved recently, um muscling Chow, um dropping him to the floor essentially, and Chow slipped really. Um and as Keen was breaking away, Chow panicked and that's in that split second, I'm not sure if he had realized that he was the last man, um, but he pulled his shirt, um, resulting in a very clear red card. But we've, before we do get into the events of the game, I want to go through the lineups for Milan. It was a 4-2-3-1 formation with Mirante in goal for following the suspension of Manian and the last minute injury of Sportiello. Florencia as the left back following the suspension of Theo Hernandez. Tomori, Chau and Calabria forming the back Four. As for the midfield three, this consisted of Musa, Adli and Reinders. Of course, this can be seen as quite a makeshift midfield three, considering that it <laughs> consists of two new signings and a player who didn't feature at all last season. Um, yeah, this is all because of Kronic, of course, who was not fit enough to start following his injury. Benasser is still out injured. Ruben Loftus-Cheek was still out injured, so purely didn't really have many options over there. Rafael Leao was out on the left, while Pulisic was out on the right, with Giroud playing as the lone striker. It is also worth noting that Chukwueze picked up a last-minute injury as well and was not able to feature for Milan this game. For Max Allegri's Juventus, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Szczesny in goal, Gatti, Bremer and Rugani at the back. With Wea out on the right, Kostic out on the left, Rabiolo, and McKenny in the middle with a striking partnership of Keane and Milik. You'll notice the absence of Danilo who was injured um, as well as the absence of Vlaovic and Chiesa who were on the bench for this game as they've just returned from injury and were not quite fit enough to start. Now, the game kicked off with Milan playing on the upper hand, front foot. Um, taking the game to Juve and really pushing for a goal. And we did see an instance of sexy champagne football where Leo kept stretching the game out wide, 1v1ing Gutti basically and beating him pretty much every time early on. Um, he, he had one moment where he took the ball down, knocked it all the way to the edge of the area, chopped back. Just, he, Gutti is Leo's dog and he's being walked at this point. Then Leao just whips in a perfect ball to Giroud, who controls it perfectly and strikes it. But there was a massive, incredible fingertip save by Szczesny over there to deny the Frenchman. Now, after this, of course, there weren't really any clear-cut chances. But in the 40th minute was when Chao did get sent off, um, as I described earlier. Now, do I, do I blame Chao? Yes, yes, sure. I do blame Chao. Does this change my perspective of him as a player? And, uh, no, it doesn't, to be honest with you. And we've mentioned on this podcast before that Malik Chao, um, for those uh, those people who watched him in Germany back in the day, did have um, this kind of reputation to him. Massive talent, incredible defender, has mistakes in him. And that's what you get with young defenders. That's what you get. It's part of the package deal. These guys don't have the experience to deal with situations like this. Well, you know, that could have been the first time he ever faced a situation like that in a game. Next time he'll know better. Um, I'm not going to really slate him for it. It just sucks that Milan seem to be rotating their best players and seem to always be missing one of their big players in each game with all the yellow cards and red cards that they've got this season. Um, They really do have a disciplinary issue right now. Um, I think they lead the red card stats right now. They have three red cards. That's the, the most in the league. But anyway, the game continued. Milan continued to press and to play on the front foot, to be honest. Despite being a man down, they had Juventus pinned back and they were really attacking them and going for their throat. But in the 63rd minute, former Milan youth player Manuel Locatelli struck the ball from a distance, it deflected off Radek foot and ended up in the back of the net. A very unfortunate goal for, for Milan at that point, um, especially, you know, salt in the wounds, seeing Manuel Locatelli, who had scored a very similar goal um, in 2016. Now get this, guys. In 2016, Milan were very bad <laughs> and came against a very good Juventus side. Their young midfielder, who had just scored his first ever goal in Serie A the previous week against Sassuolo, scored the winner in that game, Manuel Locatelli. Fast forward to 2023, and now it's a bad Juve side. Some are calling this Juve side the worst that they've seen in their lifetime or since the Del Neri days. Um, Yeah, against a very good Milan side, who made it to the Champions League semi-final, who won the Scudetto not too long ago. And Manuel Locatelli scores the winning goal. Sometimes these things just align. Now, there are a few things I would like to point out about this game. The first one being, of course, so, okay, you're a man down. Imagine this, you're a man down and you've got this Milan team and you're looking at this Milan team and you're thinking to yourself, okay, we're a man down. We're going to continue to attack them. We're going to continue to play our football. We're going to try to bring this result home because we are better with 10 men than they are with 11 men. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Go for it, go for it. But why are you keeping on Giroud in that that case, in that situation? Guys, I I don't want to be the guy that's always like hating on Giroud, but you can't be a man down (laughs) You have to run twice the amount and you keep Giroud, your 37-year-old striker, on the pitch. It doesn't make any sense. And then who do you take out? Pulisic, who a few moments before had pressed like three men after losing the ball in a row and looked pretty much unfazed But um, the amount of running he had just done. It just doesn't make any sense taking out Pulisic and bring. And leaving Giroud on, only to bring on Jovic later, because he has the same characteristics as Giroud, apparently, according to Pioli. Uh, But but that's the wrong decision. You've got Suquez suspended. You've got Okafor not at his best. You're admitting Okafor is not at his best, so he can't play right now. The guy who scored three goals. So who exactly is going to run for you over here? Who's going to run? You know, I mean, Jovic, sure, he inserted himself in these 50-50s. He attacked the ball. OK, fair enough. Yes, bring him on later on. But it was Giroud who had to go, I think. Now, I don't know if Pioli's idea was, you know, try to get a knockdown onto Leao, try to flick the ball off of Giroud onto Leao to to break away. But there was too much pressure on Leao to create without, without Pulisic on the pitch over there. And I think, I think that was a big mistake by Pioli personally. I mean, if you look at the timestamps of the match, it really paints a picture for you. Okay, so 40th minute, ciao, red card. 43rd minute, Pulisic out for Kalulu. And then in the 60th minute, he took out Giroud and brought on Jovic. Only for the 79th minute to come. And purely to be like, wow, we really need someone to run at them. We really need someone to offer some width and to try to stretch the game. And he ended up bringing on the teenager, Luca Romero. Like, sure, okay, bring on Romero at the end. But that could have been Pulisic the entire time. Yeah whatever Um, also another thing I want to discuss is how dramatic people have been about this fixture being a poor ad for Serie A or whatever like first of all dude who cares dude this is one game one game that wasn't beautiful like alright sure it's Juventus at the end of the day okay you have Juventus playing against a 10 man Milan this is the ad you want to pick for Serie A what about Fiorentina Napoli which was the best game of football I've seen all season for example there have been so many good games this season. There have been so many good games in Serie A recently in general. Like, and so many good performances from Italian teams. We had Atalanta and the, and the Champions League smashing. Lazio scoring with their goalkeeper at the end of the Champions League match, demonstrating a good ad. Last season, two Italian teams in the Champions League semi-final. Like, why is everyone worried about this ad for Serie A just because of a, a poor match? Okay, granted, these sides are both title contenders, but they came into this game with many missing important pieces. You have a team, Juve, that always set up very pragmatically. They're known for setting up pragmatically. Atletico set up pragmatically as well in La Liga. Does that mean that they're a bad ad for the league? No, they demonstrate something different and unique about the league. They they show you both sides, right? You've got your Real Madrid's, you've got your Barcelona's, you've got your Atletico Madrid's, you know? Serie A is full of entertaining teams. You don't need to fucking look at this game as an ad. If you want an ad, look at Frosinone, who've just come up and are playing beautiful, positive, offensive football and sit halfway up the table on, in the first season since they were back from Serie A without any experienced players in their team. No, no. this is, it's, it's totally reactionary, totally dramatic and totally uncalled for, in my opinion. But anyway, um, I would like to praise Juventus, who, despite their futile starting eleven, put up a very solid defensive display. It's never easy playing against the likes of Leo Juru, Pulisic. No matter, even though it was only for forty minutes, they held their own very well. And they do say that great defenses can win your leagues, and Juve definitely do have a great defense. As they only conceded six goals this season so far. So. Remember, they play once a week. They are definitely title contenders. I do respect the style that Juve went for over here. Allegri thought to himself, these guys have got more firepower than us. Let's sit back, let's absorb, and let's hit them on the counter. We'll exploit them the second an opportunity comes. And that's exactly what they did. Um, I know Juve fans are often frustrated with Allegri, especially when he does this against the smaller teams that he should probably be beating. Um, comfortably, that is, but yeah, I thought I thought he approached this game very well, and it was absolutely hilarious seeing him at the end of the game when you were trying to play the ball in tight channels. I believe it was Miretti. He got so pissed off that he removed his tie, he unbuttoned his shirt, he started getting naked, dude. This is the exact same thing that Kevin Prince Boateng said recently in an interview that Deserbi does. Um, they worked together at Sassuolo. Apparently, Deserbi would get so frustrated in training that he'd just rip his pants off. And I have no idea. I would love to speak to someone who studies the human mind and ask them why is it that when some people get pissed off especially mediterranean people why, why do they start removing clothes what's what's the connection over there please if someone knows please do tell me but yeah um later on in an interview allegri said they were a man down we were risking it we should have been playing like we were at the airport and said we were playing in a very tight space um, with Leao ready to run in behind and punish us and he's absolutely right yes and his tantrum worked because they definitely didn't concede a goal after that they took home all three points as Juve currently sit in third with 20 points while Milan sit in second with 21 points behind Inter who are first with 22 points Speaking of Inter, we should probably talk about their game against Torino um, away from home which resulted in a 3-0 victory against Ivan Juric's men who have not had a great time recently as they suffered their fourth consecutive game without scoring a single goal and their third defeat in the last four matches. Juric did try something new this game, he lined up with... 4-2-3-1 uh, formation, when he usually plays uh, three at the back formation. This time he lined up with Vanya and Gold, Ricardo Rodriguez, Tamez, Schuers and Bellanova at the back with Ricci and Linetti as a double pivot. And Sek, Vlasic and Lazaro playing behind Pellegri up front. For Inter, it was business as usual, with Sommer in goal, Acerbi, Devry, and Pavard at the back, with Darmian out on the right, Demarco on the left, Mikitari and Noglu and Barella in the middle, with a striking partnership of Lautaro Martinez and Thuram. Now, the game started off with um, Inter looking pretty surprised at, at um, Juric's setup, and they simply couldn't crack them early on. Um, Torino showed resilience and they controlled... The flanks and Inter had to rely on Sommer actually to make two fantastic saves Before Schuers, the centre-back for Torino, suffered a terrible injury and was stretchered off the pitch in tears it turns out that he has done his cruciate ligament and will be out for a very long time so I do wish him a speedy recovery he was playing absolutely phenomenally the tackles he was pulling off were amazing and his awareness was just next level he was having a very very good game sure it's a shame that we won't be seeing him for a while and Torino will most certainly miss him after this injury, um, it did prove to be a turning point as this is when the goals came flying in. Inter made substitutions. They brought on Fratesi, Carlos Augusto and Dumfries to exploit Torino's moment of defensive disorganisation with the injury. And they broke the deadlock immediately as Dumfries provided an assist for Thuram who scored his third Serie A goal. Um, Lautaro Martinez then later on scored a goal, of course, um, from a corner. He has now scored 11 goals in the league so far, along with one assist. That's absolutely mental, considering the second highest scorer is Victor Oziman with six goals so far. And the party did not stop there, as a late challenge uh, in the in the dying moments of the game led to a penalty for Inter, which was converted by Hakan Noglu. Now you've got to give it to Inter. Torino are by no means uh, an easy opponent, and they do tend to be Inter's kryptonite. Um, Inzaghi, similarly to Allegri in the first game, um, exploited a moment of chaos, a moment of disorganization for Torino as they were trying to cope with an injury. It just took 9 minutes for them to score after Shores was stretched off in tears. Um, It is worth noting um, some some talking points I have from the game. Um, Nico Barella seems, I don't know, seems distracted lately. He doesn't quite seem himself, does he? Um, He's complaining even more than usual. (laughs) He's constantly shouting at his teammates. His arms are flailing. I'm surprised he doesn't have massive biceps and triceps at this point because he's been waving his arms around like crazy. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Barella? right now Um, but he could definitely 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 chill out and I'm sure his teammates would appreciate that because he must be an absolute nightmare to have as a teammate. Another point I would like to make is how effortlessly Pavard has just slipped into that back three I guess a player of his Quality and his experience wouldn't struggle in an organized side. He has good footballing IQ and he clearly understands the system and plays very, very well for them. Um, Thuram might just be the signing of the season in Serie A so far. I think Pulisic can give him a shout as well, considering he scored four goals. But Thuram has, has really done it in big moments for Inter so far this season and he's linking up perfectly and he's proving to be a really good Lukaku replacement. Um, so kudos to him. Let's see if he can keep this up for the rest of the season. As for Torino, now we know that Juricic is very disappointed. He was crying after a game recently because he hasn't quite got things to tick for Torino, which is a real shame because he does... Care And he's clearly willing to experiment with the starting eleven and to get things ticking. But the side is organized, right? You look at the team, it's organized. Defensively, it's sound. The passages of play are good. The transition from defense to midfield is good. The problem is getting the ball in the box. The problem is creating goal-scoring opportunities. And this has been a problem with Torino for quite a while now. Um, Duvan Zapata's injury, of course, does not help. Having to start with Pellegrini up front, who's... Never had a prolific season yet. Um doesn't give them much confidence and it was always gonna take a moment of, of magic for Torino to score against Inter. Especially looking at the the players over here. Maybe Vlasic could have done something. Um I think Dembasek got very close as well with a curling effort. Yeah, yeah. But but anyway, yeah, um going forward Juric's side really is struggling. Um I don't know if sacking him would be Smart, personally, because I do think he's a fantastic coach. And Torino have definitely improved by miles since he's taken over. But there, there is something missing. And you can't look at this team anymore and say that it's, it's not... There isn't potential, you know, because the team is very good nowadays. There's a lot of young talent. Um, granted, there aren't many prolific stars, but he does have two strikers in Sanabria and Duvan Zapata, who you should be able to get goals out of now. Granted, they're both injured. <laughs> um, I believe Sanabria has just re- recovered, and he came on this game. In fact, in the let's just check that seventy fourth minute. So he's slowly, slowly making his way back. I would, I would give you the season, see how Torino finish, and if there isn't any significant pro- progress, maybe. Yes, it would be time to move on to someone else, especially with all the young talent that there is at the Torino side. You look at the likes of Ricci, for example, um, you look at Buongiorno, you look at Shures, These guys are all amazing. So, so yeah, it would be smart to, to try to keep the trajectory upwards. As we mentioned, Inter sit in first place with 22 points, while Torino sit down in 14th with nine points. And on that note, we can move on to the current champions of Italy. Napoli, who took on Hellas Verona at the Bentegodi Stadium. Now, Verona historically are a tough nut to crack for Napoli. There were many tough fixtures and many bogey teams for the Big 7 this weekend. Um, the score of this one was 3-0 to Na- 3-1 sorry, to Napoli away from home. Verona lined up with Montepo in goal. Amione, Davidovic and Manjani at the back in a 3-4-2-1 formation. Doig and Farroni out on the flanks with Serdar and Hongla in the middle. Follow Runcho and Ngonj playing behind Juric. You might be wondering, who is this Serdar guy? Well, Suat Serdar is a German 26-year-old midfielder who has previ- previously played for Hertha Berlin, Schalke and Mainz in Germany. As for Napoli, it was their 4-3-3 form- formation with Meret in goal, Di Lorenzo out on the right, Rahmani and Natan forming the centre-back duo with Mario Rui out on the left, Caillou, Lobotka and Zielinski in the middle with Politano out on the right, Kvaratskeli out on the left and Raspadori replacing the injured Victor Ozyman up front. Now before we get into the game, you might be wondering, is Garcia still the Napoli coach? Jake, last last week, you and Matt discussed the fact that he might be sacked and that they were looking at the likes of Giampaolo. Um I think De Laurentiis realized how stupid that is and how stupid that would have been bringing in Paolo at this point in the season could have totally fucked them. Um, I think moving forward with Garcia is the smartest thing to do right now. Um, I mean... De Laurentiis made his bed and now he's got to sleep in it you know it was only ever going to be a downgrade you were never going to hire a coach for a cheap price at least um, who was going to replicate Spalletti's season last season Um, you had a great manager over there you didn't invest in him and you lost him you you proved to be difficult your ego proved to be too big and you lost a great manager you've replaced him with a manager who has a Similar style, he plays the same formation, quite frankly, but quite differently when it comes to the details. And now he's criticizing this manager that he's brought in for playing differently to the manager that he sacked himself. I think that this is clownery of the highest level by idea, and he is the definition of a narcissist, to be honest. Now the game actually started off with Hellas Verona on the front foot They even forced Meret into two saves off of two corners in quick succession Um, I believe it was Davidovic and Manjani who um, tested within a minute, tested twice within a minute Now starting with Raspadori up front was quite interesting As a choice for Rudi Garcia because it forced them to play the ball low. And that is what they did under Spalletti. And in fact, there were many shades of Spalletti's influence at Napoli in this game. Because, you know, with Ozyman you can go long, you can play the ball over the top. But with Raspador, you're forced to to play the ball low and to call for him to come for it, essentially. You're not going to play him in behind. He's not the type of player who's going to be played in behind. Um, He will come to you and play off the wingers. Raspadori went to went on to force Montepo into a diving save as well as lobbed the ball into the path of Politano who volleyed at home to open up the scoring. Just before halftime, um, Politano broke free on the break and played the ball to Gvaratskelia who shimmied past Magnani and guided him into the bottom corner with absolute ease Um, And it only took till the 55th minute for him to do something similar again as he broke free once again and just guided it calmly past Montepo, please note it was Politano to play him through once again. Shimi, what a player Gavar Scalia is Hellas, Verona did get one back in the 60th minute as a ball over the top was completely misjudged by Rahmani who's just come back from injury he went to head the ball um, missed it and it ended up deflecting off of the Lorenzo and falling into the path of Lazovic who just shot it into the back of the net. Um, Meret was forced into some good saves after that and a bit of clumsy defending by Napoli did um, put them in danger at times but of course they had Of course, quite the safety net with the three goals he scored prior, plus the fact that these goals didn't actually go in, proved to be an easy victory for Napoli as the second tier stars rise above and prove that they can actually put in a shift. And by second tier stars, of course, I mean not Victor Rosimann because it's been all about Victor Rosimann in recent days, um, in recent months, to be honest. Gvaratskelia seems to be at his best. He got married that week and scored two goals. What a week, what a week for him. Must be, must be great. Um, Politano proved that he's a very good player still and that he might even deserve a spot in the starting 11 of the Italian national team. Because the way he plays when he's on is is jaw-dropping, to be honest with you. Lobotka, of course, was very good for them. Pivotal in the middle. Cayusta is growing into it. Um, Mario Rui. I prefer Mario Rui to Oliveira. Even though he wasn't particularly brilliant in this game, I still much prefer him. For Hellas Verona, their team leaves quite a bit to be desired, to be honest with you. Um... Especially in the offensive department. I think Jurich is a nice reference point. It's the players behind well, not too sold on. Folloruncho is in fact owned by Napoli and has been out on loan for like six years. And I think there's a reason for that, to be honest. He is clearly talented, but he does he hasn't made he hasn't been a difference maker yet. And I believe in his best season so far he's scored about eight goals. Um in is also a player who's quite streaky on and off. Um and and yeah, Doig and Farroni out wide. Um, to be honest, that's that's probably their strength over there uh, behind the defence because the defence is very, very good. Especially when Hien is fit because Hien is a proper defender and he complements Davidovic very well. And I really enjoy watching Manjani, Davidovic and Hien because they are all defenders with very different qualities, making them just very entertaining to watch. I almost got to the end of this game without... <laughs> Without mentioning Gvaratskelia's new celebration, of course, it's like a rapid fire, um, traditional bow and arrow kind of thing where he just. Bah, 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 bah. I mean, I think it's cool, kind of overdone to be honest. Zakany had that celebration for a while, so please be more original, come up with something better, you know, you can do better. This victory takes Napoli up to 4th place with 17 points, while Hellas Verona sit in 16th place with 8 points. And on that note, we can move on to Roma 1-Monza nil. a game that combines two elements from two games that we've already discussed, one being a red card and one being a crazy manager. Let's get into it. So, for... Mourinho's Roma, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Rui Patricio on goal, a back three of Indica, Cristante and Mancini, with Spinazzol out on the left and Karsdorp out on the right and a midfield three of Awar, Paredes and Bove, Bellotti and Lukaku formed a striking duo up front. For Raffaele Palodino's Monza, it was a 3-4-2-1 formation with Di Gregorio and goal, Caldi Rola, Mari and Dambrosia at the back with Pereira out on the right, Kyriakopoulos out on the left, Pessina and Gagliardini in the middle with Colpani and Machine playing off the shoulders of Colombo. Now the game got off to a slow start pace-wise, mostly because of the heat. It was a very hot um, day when the game was being played. And Monza actually dominated the first half with 54, 54% ball possession, even though they never really managed to create any danger for Roma. Um, Roma were in their own half for pretty much the entire first half and even received a few jeers and whistles because of their lackadaisical attitude. It was very interesting to see the way that Monza set up because Monza liked to play man to man, so he had the likes of uh, Colombo on Cristante, Colpani on Paredes, Machine on Mancini. The only player who was always free, funnily enough, was Indica, the new arrival, and that's mostly because he's probably the worst at build up play from the lot. So they would leave him free, cover everyone else, and then press, looking to force an error Danilo D'Ambrosio really had an effect on the game for all the wrong reasons as he was booked in the twenty-third minute and then booked again in the forty-first minute. D'Ambrosio has had a new lease of life since leaving Inter and has felt like an important part of a project for probably the first time since <laughs> joining Inter because he was he was a fringe player over there, let's be real. Um but but yeah, he, he looked overeager and he was injured, so he must have been frustrated wanting to come back and really cement his place in this Monza team and really make a difference and help them out. But that overeagerness, I think, does come across sometimes uh, as naive and, and overly aggressive because Bellotti knew exactly what he was doing when he put himself between D'Ambrosio and the ball in the 41st minute to get him that second yellow card. In the second half, um, Roma pinned Monza back and were trying to get a goal. Um, And we all know how uncomfortable Roma can be when they have to play on the front foot. Um, But Mourinho does have a clear philosophy. When a team goes a man down, you attack them. And that is what they did. They attacked them. However, it was actually Monza who got close to scoring as Palladino brought on two fresh wingers in um, Carboni and Brindelli, and used them as an outlet on the counter attack, the game became very tense. Lukaku hit the post, as hit the post, and then eventually, in the 90th minute, there was a scrap in the box. And during the scramble, El Sharawi comes up and scores. As the Olimpico erupts. Uh, Mourinho falls to his knees in celebration, and gets up, starts yappa yappa yapping with his hand, looking at Palladino, who apparently had taunted him a while back, saying that Mourinho's behavior is scandalous. Of course, Mourinho never forgets. And revenge is a dish best served freezing cold in Mourinho's case. Um, and yeah, so first he told him, basically, you talk too much. Yap, 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 yap. And then he shushed him. Um, He sat down thinking that nothing was going to happen. The referee ran up to him and gave him a red card (laughs) to which Mourinho just got up and left. He must be so used to getting sent off. And I wonder, has there ever been a game where Mourinho wasn't sent off? Because I can't even remember what at this point. The guy is always in trouble, always. What a character, what a character, what a character. So much fun to watch. And this is what I mean about Serie a being so, so entertaining, you know, you've got the likes of Allegri and Mourinho, they always put on a show, so if the football is boring, you can just watch them, you know. I'll never forget the first time I watched them um, Allegri properly, live at a stadium. I was at the Olympico watching Juventus against Roma, a game that I believe Roma won 3-1 if I remember correctly. I remember, I, I believe it was Lemina who scored for Juve, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Lemina. don't quote me on this. Um, however, I'm pretty sure that De Rossi scored for Roma as well as Nangolan and someone else. I can't remember right now. But anyway, I remember looking over to Allegri and just watching him. And I, I spent half the game, I think, watching Allegri because the guy is never happy with anything he's always pointing and complaining and flailing his arms and looking at his assistant and moaning and complaining you know man i I honestly wonder is this a kind of persona he puts on at work or is this his actual personality i wonder the same thing about barella like if these guys are playing a game of fifa with their friends are they like are, are they like this the entire time he's arguing with his wife this guy See, like this, you know, they're picking, trying to pick a film on Netflix. Is a leg? You're just gonna be like, oh, no, we always watch this. We never watch that. Like, bro, easy, man, relax, relax. The same with you, Mourinho, man? Not everything needs to be a soap opera. However, it is absolutely entertaining, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Thank you very much for being you, guys. It is worth noting that El-Sharawi broke down in tears after his goal and in an interview he said that he was very upset when his name came out in the recent betting scandal as he feels clean and he has never actually taken part in any of these activities and he loves football so much and that moment made him appreciate how much he actually loves football Um, and yeah he broke down crying. Um, Barella's name had even had come out as well and he had he had taken to Instagram to post and call out these journalists who have been naming players so recklessly Um, and power to him because it's absolutely ridiculous if these people aren't involved for their names to be dragged through the mud for some clicks absolutely absolutely shambolic there by the media but anyway, um, to talk a little bit about this Monza performance, I believe that they were playing very well. Um, I believe that the red card, of course, ruined their game. And the approach after the red card was also admirable. Um, I'm always impressed when I see the likes of Machine and Mota when you think about the fact that these guys have been with Monza since they were in Serie A 3. Um, That's third division football in Italy and they're still there and now they're playing in Serie A, um, even starting some games, uh, to be honest. I'm always impressed with Kolpani, absolutely brilliant player over there. Kyriakopoulos, very good. These guys just play a brilliant brand of football. And Palladino deserves all the respect in the world And all the praise in the world for what he's done with this team As for Roma, you know, I mean, they got it done They left it late and they got it done They didn't look particularly inspiring But of course, this is the way Mourinho um, likes to close out certain games You know, they had their goals last game Now this game, it was just a victory At the end of the day, both games result in three points So yeah, same weight As for the standings, Roma currently sit in 7th with 14 points, while Monza sit in 11th with 12 points. I must admit, doing this podcast solo is absolutely exhausting. I haven't stopped talking. I feel like my girlfriend. The only difference being is that I'm talking about football while she's talking about... A whole lot of mundane nothings that happen throughout the day. Very regular things that happen throughout the day. She feels the need to mention every single one of them. My tummy growled at 12 o'clock today. I felt a fart coming at 3 o'clock, but it never actually happened. I had a conversation with a person today. I was hungry, and then I ate. Do you ever feel tired, but not? I don't need to worry about her hearing this. She doesn't listen. The next game we're going to be discussing is Atalanta 2 Genoa nil at the Gewiss Stadium so for gasperini's men it was a three four three formation with karnesecki in goals Calvini, jim city toloi at the back with ruggeri out on the left zapakost out on the right with ederson and darun in the middle lukman and Tellare playing off the shoulders of skamakka for Gilardino's men, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Leali in goal. Dragosin, Barney and Vasquez at the back with Sabelli on the right. Haps on the left. Malinowski, Friendrup, and Thorsby in the middle with Ekuban and Goodmanson, up front. Now, the game started off with both teams looking quite gorgeous in the first half. Genoa were playing man for man and were defending... Brilliantly, to be honest, against Atalanta. I have never seen Malinowski give so give so much defensively for his team. Um, Vasquez was absolutely bullying the Gatalara. He looked like <laughs> his usual Milan self, the Gatalara over there. While the only channel that seemed to be viable for Atalanta was the left side with Ruggeri and Lukman. Barney seemed to have Skamakka on lockdown and the only time Skamakka actually did get the ball in the box, he had his back um, towards goal. So yeah, he had to turn and shoot each time or lay it off each time. Barney did a pretty good job over there. However, things did eventually change as in the 68th minute, um, the ball was played in by Skamaka to Lukman and Sabelli who both attacked it at the same time, sliding into the ball together. However, it was Lukman who managed to swing while he was still on the ground um, and he hit the ball and directed it into the back of the net. The goal was initially ruled out for a handball, the referee ran to the VAR monitor It still looked like there were handballs over there. More than one (laughs) potentially, to be honest. Genoa have been really hard done by the season when it comes to VAR and these handball calls. First on Pulisic and now this one. Um, Yeah, controversial to say the least. But Atalanta lead 1-0. And then after this, essentially, it took the 95th minute um, when Atalanta were countering. Um Pasalik played the ball to Ederson while I forgot his name. There was one particular Genoa player who was all over the place. Voliaccio. Voliacio was all over the place during this attack. You see him, he's just going left-right, left-right, spinning in circles. I'm surprised he didn't like collapse with, with dizziness. He was so exposed over there. Um but yeah, um, this saw Ederson scoring back-to-back goals for the first time in his career, and Serie yeah. Um very happy for the Brazilian. He deserves it. He's playing his best football since the Salernitana days after a quiet season last year at Atalanta. Drianowa do continue to impress me, however, it must be said that they do miss Retegui. Um having Retegui in the box frees up the likes of Goodmanson and the likes of Ekuban to attack a little bit more freely. Puskas is currently an option that's coming off the bench and he doesn't seem to cut it. It feels like everything he did was annoying his teammates um, this game. It seems like everything he did was the wrong decision. It was, I believe it was Ekoban who was giving him a real bollocking until he was substituted. and He must have been really relieved at that. But that doesn't mean that his performance improved because more often than not, he was ruining Genoa's link-up play and attacks. There is one point in the game actually I want to highlight um, when Skamaka received the ball from Maranchuk who had just come in instead of Decay Telar, and he instantly played this marvellous ball to Skamaka who improvised brilliantly with a backheel flick forcing an incredible save by the Genoa goalkeeper Leali. Um, if you haven't seen that, I do suggest you go and see it because it was a very close one for and on A very, very nifty finish. It would have been the goal of the week for sure. Atalanta currently find themselves in sixth with sixteen points, while Fior- while Genoa, sorry, are in fifteenth with eight points. The next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina nil Empoli two, a Tuscan derby that caught everyone by surprise on a Monday. I do feel like Mondays are different; the year on a Monday is different. There are more there's more likely to be an upset on a Monday than on a Saturday, for example. I, I genuinely do believe that by the way, I'm a superstitious man. For Vincenzo Italiano's men it was a four, two, three, one formation with Terracano and goal, or as my girlfriend calls him Terracino, like he's a bloody Starbucks order. Parisi was out on the left, Coyote out on the right, with Milenkovic and Martinez Quarta at the back. Duncan and Arthur were the midfield double pivot with Brecola out on the left, Nico Gonzalez out on the right, and Bonaventura playing behind in Zola for Empoli it was a 4-3-2-1 formation with Berisha and Gola Buehi out on the right Kakace out on the left with Luperto and Walukovic at the back Malek, Grassi and Marin were in the middle with Kancher and Kambiagi playing behind Caputo interestingly enough the only player to have scored a goal for Empoli up until this moment was Baldanzi and he was benched by Andrea Zoli who likes to remind us that he has a massive set of balls now, before we do get into the events of the game, I would like to point out um, that Martinez Cuarta is a centre-back. Okay, For those of you who have tuned into Fiorentina this season, you may have noticed Martinez Cuarta dribbling in midfield or attempting bicycle kicks in the bo- in the box, scoring goals, smashing the crossbar. The guy is a centre-back and he seems to need reminding. Now all jokes aside yes he did have a mistake for the leading up to the second goal especially um but he he has been absolutely amazing and I really like the way he joins the attack it's a nice little offensive secret for Italiano Empoli set up this game to defend Fiorentina very tightly and Press them and press them and press them with a lot of energy, very high intensity pressing, and they didn't leave any gaps and this was all thanks to the likes of Cambiaghi and Marin and Grassi and Male. They all pressed so intensely and they they really suffocated Fiorentina and Fiorentina found it very difficult to build up play from the back as they like to do, to be honest. That's their, their defining principle. It's Italiano's entire approach to football. You build play from the back, you know, and Empoli really made this difficult for them. The first goal for Empoli came through uh, Walukovic um, threw ball to Grassi, who crossed it to Caputo, who tapped it in very intelligently, kind of semi-chipping the rushing goalkeeper. Um, brilliant goal, brilliant goal. Fiorentina did try to respond but they were quite wasteful to be honest with Brecolo and Duncan and Nico Gonzalez and they were forced to shoot from a distance because Empoli kept it so tight and they were pressing so intensely that Inzola was practically invisible for example and Brecolo when he came on towards the end of the second half I think did more than Inzola did in the entire game simply because he got the ball. <laughs> he got the ball and he was allowed to turn and shoot. So so yeah, that was um, when Empoli were sitting a little bit deeper and pressing a little bit less intently. But Empoli in the second half did give Fiorentina a false sense of security. As they stopped pressing, they eased off the pressing before all of a sudden um, Cayode was pressed um, and he played a ball to... I believe, yes, it was Martinez Quarta who took a poor touch, a panic touch, wasn't expecting the pass. And he was dispossessed by Kambiagi, who played the ball to Jazzy, who had just come on, who scored and shushed me personally because I am a person on this podcast who likes to make fun of Jazzi and his lack of goals. But the commentator was praising him, it's always him. He lives for these big moments, Emmanuel Jazzy. He's there shushing me, looking me straight in the eyes. Yeah, Um, I'm very happy for Jazzy, though. He deserved that goal and he looked absolutely ecstatic to get it. Um, And what a victory for Empoli. What a massive victory for Empoli. I must say that Coyote was exploited, the fullback. Um, He's very young and it is difficult to play on the upper hand. You know, Fiorentina have high standards and they play... for for the win more often than not. So having a player like Coyote, who finds himself starting more often than not nowadays, especially because of Baragi's injury, for example. um, Yeah, he he was kind of targeted on the press and he he ends up playing with a lot of pressure um, and is limited in expressing himself because when it comes to risk-taking on that stage with that much pressure on you, it's a little bit harder. But yeah, he's a very promising fullback and I feel like... He will improve in this environment. And Italiano is is a good coach for him. Nonetheless, it will be challenging, but he will will get through it. But how can we conclude this match without talking about Luperto? Luperto is a fantastic centre-back. Fantastic. What a game he had this game. He plays like a veteran of the game. He plays like a 34-year-old despite being 27 years old. Um, he was all over the place. I don't think there was a duel he, he lost. He was brilliant. Really good reference point for the Sampoli team, offering them solidarity. Kanchilleri as well. Kanchilleri, man, he had flashes of, of brilliance. And it shows that Lazio saw something in him because he had moments and uh, certain touches and flicks where he re- he looked really good. And I hope he keeps this form up because... There's no real in-between between this and what he sometimes gives us, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, Marin Grassimale, midfield three, brilliant, lots of pressing, lots of panache, um, really enjoyed watching them. And Caputo getting a goal was also nice to see the veteran striker leading by example, and then nice to see him and Jassi doing the trademark beer drinking celebration together, always fun to watch but alas Fiorentina find themselves in fifth with 17 points they're going to be disappointed because they could have shot themselves up to third Empoli on the other hand have escaped the relegation pool they are currently in 17th with seven points one point above Udinese who sit in 18th (gasps) The next game I'm going to be addressing, and notice I did not say covering, I said addressing because I refuse to get into the details of this game until Sassuolo improve their defence. It is a massive waste of time, and every week I'm saying the exact same things. Now, Consili was in goal for Sassuolo, Um, Pedersen was out on the left, Tolian was out on the right, with Ferrari and Ruan Tressoldi At the back, Racic and Boloca were the midfield double pivot with Lauriente on the left, Berardi on the right, Castillejo in the hole and Pinamonti up front. For Lazio, it was a 4-3-3 with Provedel in goal, Lazzari on the right, Marusic on the left, Romagnoli and Patrick in the middle as a centre-back duo. With Guendouzi, Rovella and Luis Alberto as the three midfielders, Felipe Anderson was out on the right, Pedro was out on the left and Castellanos started up front. It started off nice and early for for Lazio as um, Luis Alberto had two chances early on and he failed to hit the target in both opportunities. Guendouzi came close to scoring. Consili pulled off two um, miracles within 60 seconds, to be honest. Um, first on Philippe Anderson's shot and then on Romagnoli's header as well. In the Romagnoli instance, the ball bounced and hit The crossbar. Lazio did not lose heart and they continued to press despite all these missed opportunities. The goal came in the 28th minute when Ruan Tresoldi made a mistake in front of his own box and Luis Alberto snatched the ball from him. Castellanos carried it forward and passed it to Anderson, who blasted it past Consili. The second goal came in the 35th minute. This time it was Boloca who made a mistake on Anderson's cross inadvertently setting up Luis Alberto who delicately tripped the ball over Consili. Um, Sassuolo watched without being able to do anything. The second half was also goalless. Um, There was one scare for Lazio as Provadel was shown a red card but the decision was overturned by VAR. Lazio could have made it 3-0 at the end through Vecino twice in actuality. The first one was when he forced uh, an excellent save from Consili. And the second one was when he inexplicably missed an open goal. But yes, um, Sassuolo have a lot of work to do on their defence. While Lazio seem to be gaining some momentum and climbing up the table, they currently find themselves in 9th with 13 points, while Sassuolo are in 13th with 10 points. The next game we're going to be taking a look at is Bologna 2, Frosinone 1. Um, Frosinone unfortunately left to the second half to get to really get a grip on the game and it was too late for that as Bologna had already put two past them. It was Skorupski in goal for Thiago Motta's men in a four-two-three-one formation with Ligo out on the left and Silvestri De Silvestri out on the right. Um Calafiori and Beukema were at the back with Albusha and Freuler as a double pivot. Salamakers had his first start for Bologna out on the left with Orsalini on the right, Ferguson as a Trequartista and Xerxi as the false nine. For Frosinone, it was a 4 1 formation for Eusebio Di Francesco's men. Turati was in goal with Oyano as the right back, Markizza as the left back, Ocoli and Romagnoli were, were the centre back duo with Mazzitelli and Berenchea as the double pivot. Sule was out on the right, Garretano out on the left, Reiner was in the pocket playing behind Kedira. Ferguson opened the scoring first and then De Silvestri scored a second with a brilliant flying header after Turati punched the ball. Outwards. In the second half, Frosinone fought back. Um, Sule converted a penalty and brought the score to 2 1. Markitza had a missed opportunity to equalize for Frosinone moments before the final whistle, and Mazzitelli received a double yellow card, leaving Frosinone with 10 men. Bologna managed to hold the lead, securing their eighth consecutive positive result in a row. Now, the last two games we're going to be discussing are actually quite. Quite action-packed and they were both spectacles, to be honest. Two of the games I enjoyed the most this weekend. Udinese 1, Lecce 1 is the first one for Andrea Sotil, who has since been sacked um, for the reappointment of Cioffi. It's getting a little bit boring now with Udinese employing the same people to manage the club. Um, I do think that they are due a relegation because there are some clubs in Serie B that have higher aspirations than Udinese do at the moment. And we look at the projects at Palermo and Venezia and Bari. These are definitely more exciting than what's going on at Udinese right now. They've got a very young team and they've got they've got talented players, you know, and especially left footed players in Pereira, Samardžić, Thovan, You know, they've got Luka, who I enjoy watching a lot. Um, they've got a good team, but they just seem so uninspired and the management doesn't want to invest at all. Their best signing was Pereira, who was essentially redeemed. He wanted to leave as a free agent. No offers came in, so he ended up renewing with Udinese. But anyway, it was Silvestri in goal, Cabasele, Biol and Perez at the back with Kamara out on the left, Pereira out on the right, Pereira, Wallace and Samardzic in the middle with Tovan and success up front. For Roberta Diversa's Lecce, Roberto Diversa, sorry, not Roberta. Uh, it was a 4-3-3 formation with Falcone Engel, goal, jean and Gallo as the fullbacks, with Basquerotto and Pongratrish as the centre-back duo. Kaba, Ramadani and Udin were the midfield three with Almqvist and Strefetza playing out wide while Kristovic played up front. The first goal came through a penalty in the 49th minute, thank- converted by Florian Thauvin to get his first goal in Serie A, the 2018 World Cup winner. And in the 83rd minute, our goal of the week, um, Nicola Sansone, who had just come on. um, His name is actually Nicola, not Nicolo. This time, (laughs) he dribbled Luka and crossed in a ball to find Piccoli playing on the line, who karate kicked the ball into the back of the net. Now... um, Piccoli and Kristovic are players with two similar profiles. Um, Piccoli himself said that. And he said that the difference being that Kristovic likes to come deep and collect the ball, while Piccoli likes to play on the line, uh, as we saw over here, and try to score these clutch goals. He said that coming on and scoring goals is his forte. And uh, yeah, that's it's what he's good at. And I totally agree, he's known <laughs> for this. In fact, He has scored his ninth goal for four different Serie A teams now. Sansone um, got that crazy assist on his 200th Serie A appearance. While this referee um, had his first appearance in Serie A. And he's a yellow card happy referee by reputation. And it showed because he was giving out yellow cards left, right and center. At one point he booked Pongracic and Basquerotto right after each other there could have been a penalty in the 73rd minute um, which is what led to the yellow card for Pongratic pulling Pereira on the counter and Basquerata for complaining Almqvist was dropped but it was outside the box so VAR actually couldn't intervene um, and award a free kick over there because it was not a penalty infringement um, I thought Kaba was quite selfish throughout the game, shooting when he had teammates wide open. I think selfishness with these lower teams is quite abundant um, with players looking to make headlines and looking to make names for themselves. Maybe they don't care much about the club, where they f- view the club as a stepping stone, but I can't I can't stand this, um, this approach. Dorgu versus Ebosele was a very interesting battle. And Festi coming on for... Sorry, for Ferreira, um, was an interesting substitution as Festi brought a lot more pace and power to the game and was much more effective than the former. Now, um, I believe that a goal is in fact a fair result over here as no team really deserved to win this. Lecce scoring their only shot on target and Udinese proving that they are still quite a wasteful side. Udinese sit in 18th with 6 points while Lecce... Sit in 10th with 13 points The last game I'm going to be addressing is Salernitana to Cagliari 2 Um, Costil was in goal for Salernitana in their 4-3-2-1 formation This was Filippo Anzagi's first game in charge Fun fact about Costil is that he looks exactly like Olivier Giroud Especially in his goalkeeper kit um, Filippo Anzaghi said that it's a hard reset at Salernitana right now since he's come in. He, every player is essentially equal. And Ochoa didn't start this game because he arrived late from international duty and he had more of an opportunity to observe Costil. He played Broderic out on the left and Matsuki out on the right with Fazio and Gyomber as the centre back partnership with Castanos, Maggiore and Kulibali as the midfield three. Cabral and Kandreva playing behind Bulayadia. For Cagliari, Claudio Ranieri opted for a 4-3-1-2 formation with Scoffet in goal. Nathan Nandez as the right-back, Augello as the left-back with Dosena and Goldaniga at the back. Makumbu, Prati and Deola were the midfield three with Mankozu playing behind Oristanio and Luvumbo. The first goal came through Zito Luvumbo in the 79th minute. Up until this moment, Salernitana were quite sluggish, um, especially Maggiore. I didn't quite like the way Maggiore played. I felt like he was not very effective. Um, There were so many missed opportunities for Salernitana and they failed to really... Adapt to this new tactical setup by Claudio Ranieri. Um, they they really couldn't cope. I think it caught them by surprise. Yeah, but anyway, Maljore seemed to be playing a deep lying role. Castanos and Koulibaly were acting as box to box midfielders, while Cabral and Kandreva were supporting Dia externally. Um, they had a good first quarter of an hour, um, especially down the right. Um, Maggiore really seemed to slow play down and wasn't changing the, the dictating play. Sorry, he wasn't dictating play as efficiently as he should have been. And the counter attack for Cagliari is always going to be a dangerous one with Luvumbo's speed. Um, as long as he's on the pitch, we've seen them struggle without him. Um, thankfully for Salernitano for the majority of the game, Fazio was excellent, and the Sardinians were actually quite inaccurate as well themselves. Um, not taking advantage of their opportunities either, Inzaghi um, tried to bring some unpredictability into the midfield when he introduced Martegani in an advanced central position, shifting to two deep playmakers, but a technical error by by Martegani. Was actually what led to the first goal as he was dispossessed. Um, the ball was played to Luvumbo by Jakub Jankto, who did very well over here, very, very well. Um, and Luvumbo scored, as he always does. <laughs> I absolutely love this player, he plays with so much flair um, and he's slowly becoming a fan favorite over there, um, particularly with his <laughs> performance in the in the playoffs of Serie B last season. Inzaghi experimented after this, he even played with a three-man defense at one point and eventually in the 86th minute he did get a goal through Bulaedia after the Senegal man was played through by Ikumweze and he finished perfectly. It's so sad that they no longer sing the Boulaye Dia song at the stadium. He's no longer a fan favorite. They no longer celebrate him um, because of course he tried to force his way out. It actually saddens me to watch Dia score and that stadium not go absolutely ballistic because it was one of the best things in the league. Um, yeah. But anyway, just two minutes after that, Nicolas Viala scored, one of our favorite players over here, because he's, he's so silky as a regista, he's so good. Um, great, great player, nifty player. Um, he scored in the 88th minute when Shomorodov played him the ball and he finished with his head. Um, brilliant celebration by by Nicholas Viola. I'm still trying to do that and I haven't quite understood how you get your hands to do that thing um, over your eyes. It's like one of those things you used to do at school and you'd tell your friends like, hey, can you do this? And the answer was always, no, I can't. In the 94th minute, Salernitana had the penalty which was converted expertly by Boulayadia, leaving the goalkeeper with absolutely no hope of saving it. And a draw here was once again a fair result as both teams share the spoils. Now, as to where they stand in the table, Salernitana sit in 19th with 4 points, while Cagliari sit in 20th with 3 points. This was the definition of a relegation 6-pointer, and that is why I put a bet on this game to finish in a draw as part of my bet slip, which I won this weekend. Um, But I must say, leaving it to the 94th minute was not good for my chest. But yeah, I think it's time for our question segment. I got a quest. Uh, I got a quest. Welcome back to our question segment. In order to drop a question or a hot take, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at say Serial Spotlight. I've only just realized that I didn't plug any socials. Um, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, you know where it is. Remember to rate us five stars. Um, and if you do enjoy our content, you can support it on Patreon. The link is in our bio. Uh, it's $3.99 a month, just one tier. Um, you get added to a WhatsApp group, so you can talk to us on a daily basis. Um, And all we do is talk football, so that's pretty much it. you would just be supporting our content. Now, the first question comes from Genoa Club Toronto. They ask, refereeing and VAR mediocrity, is it acceptable? The answer is no, it is not acceptable. Unfortunately, we are fans of the Italian league where VAR is... Not perfect yet, but it's further ahead than what it, where it currently stands in England. Because some of the things that happen over there are shambolic. Remember that VAR is a year younger over there. Italy have actually had it for longer. Um, Genova have suffered particularly serious offences when it comes to VAR. Um, I think they've suffered more than any other team in, say, uh, this season when it comes to the controversial calls Made against them um, in the Milan game and this weekend against Atalanta. yes, I think there need to be more angles. I think the referee needs to be helped a little bit more in certain situations. Um, I don't think it should be too difficult to introduce new to introduce all the angles in certain games. I think certain stadiums need a a bit more work when it comes to the the infrastructure and the camera set up, because it can't be that the referee doesn't have access to any certain angles. And if that really is the situation, I do agree with the idea that they stick to the on-field decision because I don't like the idea that they're winging it because it looks bad from a weird angle, if you know what I mean. The next question comes from Luca Argento, he is our fellow patron, great memer, and good friend at this point. Um, he asks, will Martinez stop scoring goals? Um, at this rate, I don't think so. He seems to always have a dip earlier on in the season. And my Inter friends are always joking around saying he should save some for his dip because he's scoring left, right and center at the moment. I don't know if he'll hit a drought. He, he usually historically tends to. But this season, he just has an, an aura about him. He's got the this aura of a leader, of a great player. Um I don't I don't think he'll stop scoring this season. I think he'll keep scoring pretty much relentlessly until the end of it. <laughs> He also asks, does Roma have a chance to be a top six contender this year? I answer, most definitely with Jose Mourinho at the helm. They will definitely finish top six, I would say. Mm. Um, it's going to be tight, but they do have the depth and the team is coming together and they're they're getting used to one another and the new boys are settling nicely. And with Romelu Lukaku in the form he's in, you can't write them off. He also asks, will Filippo Inzaghi truly fix Salernitana? I don't know. I don't know. I don't personally think so. However, Nzaghi said it best himself. He said that, um, he said, criticize me all you want. It doesn't make a difference to me. Um, they told me that I couldn't even control a ball and I went on to score 300 goals. Yeah, that's Pip Nzaghi for you. Um, in Serie B, he did do some good work. In Serie A, he's never quite cut it. Let's see um, what he can do with Salernitana. The next question comes from a very good friend of mine, Steve Colero, Sean Nabro. He says, 11 versus 11 between Milan and Juve, who wins that game? Um, Milan can be quite wasteful and they do struggle to close out games. So I wouldn't confidently say that Milan would have won that game if they were up, if they had that extra man. Um, However, I do think that... Simply because of the nature of the substitutions, it did put Milan at a massive disadvantage. I think 11 versus 11, Milan would have just edged it, maybe 1-0. I think it could have been a 1-0 victory um, there to to Milan. The next question comes from Basco.Bakiam. Excuse me if I've massacred your name. I think it's actually Basco.Bairam. Bairam. I'm sorry about that. He says, will Lukaku rise to the occasion against Inter or fuck it up? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Lukaku, the type of guy he is, you can tell he's going to be wearing a hoodie. He's going to be wearing boxing gloves on a treadmill in the dark at home, listening to fucking weird TikTok rap, um, boxing the air, calling himself the king of Rome probably nowadays. I'm pretty sure he's hyping himself up. And I would bet that he scores against Inter, and I would bet that he fucking celebrates like crazy. Um, <laughs> especially because the fans don't really like him anymore, quite frankly. Yes, um, I'm curious to see how Lautaro Martinez reacts to him because he's publicly slated him in the media. Yeah, I'd like to know what you guys think, guys, comment below. Um, the next question comes from our friend on TikTok Leo Messi. <laughs> of course, that's his username. Bro, you should tell me your real name. I'd like to. I'd like to give you a shout out. He says, "Am I the only one who feels that um, Motta's Bologna is the next factor for finishing top four? Um, top four might be a little bit of a stretch, but I do think they can push for a Conference League spot. The way things are things are going, they really look like a side that have figured out the." their strengths and their weaknesses. Uh, Motta has that group ticking very well and Xerxes is in the form of his life. Um, yeah, they're, they're a pretty complete team at the moment. He also asks, where will Udinese finish at the end of the season and will Juventus win the Scudetto? Um, I think Udinese will finish between... between 13th and 16th, to be honest. Yes, just outside the relegation pool. I don't think they'll get relegated. They have too much talent to get relegated. I think they have many players who can make the difference, um, even if they're not tactically sound. yeah, so I think I think they'll definitely stay up. Can Juve win the Scudetto? Most definitely, as they don't concede goals. They play once a week. I think they can definitely win the Scudetto if they keep their best players healthy. But yes, guys, thank you very much for listening. I have been your host, Jake. I am usually not alone if this is your first time listening. I'm usually joined by my blood brother, Matthew. He's actually my biological brother. He's two years younger than me. Um, he's He happens to also be my best friend and my co-host. And um, yeah, we we miss him. I miss him here. I'm sure you guys will miss him, too, (laughs) as I continue to blab on for the coming weeks. But yes, let me know what you think, guys. Drop a comment down below. Make sure to vote on our polls below. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much and have a great week.